Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. You know, I really, really appreciate it and love, you know, how you guys just enjoy fellowshipping with one another. It's quite fun watching the interactions from the front here. Uh, I really, really enjoy that. Uh, I just wanted you to know that that blesses a pastor's heart. So <coughs> I suppose I should actually turn to the right page so that I'm ready to start. Mark chapter 5 this morning. And we're going to be picking it up where we left off last week where Jesus and the disciples have just crossed over the Sea of Galilee after Jesus had calmed uh, the raging storm. But now here in chapter 5, they finally reached their originally intended destination. But what the disciples didn't know is that Jesus had an appointment here today. So let's get into that. Beginning at verse 1, it says, Then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one could bind him, not even with chains. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been pulled apart by him, and the shackles broken into pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. Now, I've seen some excellent movies on the life of Jesus. And none of them are as good as the movie running in my mind when I read this passage. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee. He gets off the boat. He goes ashore. He's not in the Jewish part of the Galilee anymore. He's in the Gentile country known as the land of the Gadarenes. And Jesus has a specific appointment with a specific man that he needs to minister to. So let the movie continue to run in your heads for a moment. As soon as Jesus' foot touches the shore, immediately a demon-possessed man comes running at him. And from the description we just read, he sounded kind of like the walking dead. Okay, maybe uh, better stated, the running dead. <laughs> now, I don't know about you, but that would be a little bit unsettling, right? And Mark gives us the most detailed account of a demon-possessed person in all of the Scriptures. And that coupled with Luke's account in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 to 39, we get quite the picture of this guy. So he had an unclean spirit. He was constantly tormented by them. He was naked, and he lived a subhuman life. He lived in the tombs amongst all these rotting corpses. He had supernatural strength. I mean, he could break chains and shackles. 
He was self-destructive. He was cutting himself with sharp stones. He had uncontrollable behavior. No one could tame him. And we know that he had been like this for a very long time. Now, my friends, you can be sure of one thing here. This man didn't start out that way. At one time, he lived among the other people in the village. But his own wild, irrational behavior convinced the villagers that he was possessed. Or at very least, that he was insane. And he had to be controlled to keep him from being a danger to himself and to the others around him. So they drove him out of town. Now, we have all experienced in our lives some form of spiritual attack from Satan. I can honestly say it is, that there is rarely a Sunday that I don't experience something. The devil comes along and he creates some sense of irritation as we're preparing for the service. Or creating friction or frustration designed to distract us or to try to set us off. But sometimes when he comes to us, it's just in the form of plain old temptation, isn't it? He appeals to some fleshly desire that we have. Or sometimes he'll plant ideas in our heads at a strategic moment. Like when the Lord is speaking during the service. And he's really talking to your heart. And then he plants some idea in your head that distracts you to take your focus off of what's being said. That never happens during when I'm teaching. I know. You guys are always just... Or sometimes it comes in the form of discouragement. Desperation. It comes in a fog of negativity and worthlessness that just beats you down. But my friends, what this man is experiencing here in Mark chapter 5 was substantially more <laughs> than any of the kind of attacks I've just outlined here. This was a case where this man's personality, his will, his body were all put under the control and power of these demonic spirits. And that causes some people, believers included, to be fearful of this. You know, the Bible makes a promise to every believer. James 4, 7 says, Resist the devil, and what happens? He will flee from you. And that is a promise made to every Christian. When we submit to God, when we surrender our lives to Him, when we are saved by His grace, the devil cannot possess us in the sense that this man was. And do you know why? Because Jesus lives in here. And my friends, I want to explain something to you. 
Jesus doesn't take ownership of you to rent you out for the summer to the devil. You get it? He can harass you. He can attack you. He can trouble you. But when we resist him, he will flee from us. That is a promise. It's yes and amen. Amen? And this is why Jesus had this special appointment with this man. He was in a place where he could not resist for himself. He needed somebody from the outside to come and do it. And that is exactly why Jesus was there. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. And he cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. Now at first glance, we make some interesting observations. This man begins to worship Jesus. In fact, he even kind of preaches a little sermon about him. He's declaring that Jesus is the Son of the Most High God. And of course, he's theologically correct. And although he said all the right things about Jesus, his heart was not surrendered to him. Now, there's something important for us to understand at this point. Jesus was not the only person casting out demons in that day. There were people who traveled around curing people of demon possession. And there was this Jewish formula, so to speak, that they would use. And they had this whole elaborate process that they went through. And let me tell you, this entire process was entirely or almost entirely based on superstition. And one of the things was that they were to know the name of their spiritual opponent. If you had their name, if you had the demon's name, then you had power over them to cast them out. So with that in mind, do you see what the demon is doing there in verse 7? Look at it. The demon is trying to exercise authority over Jesus by saying his name. What have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? And friends, I would almost promise you that the onlookers, mainly Jesus' disciples, they were all likely thinking that based on all of those superstitions, whoa, Jesus, he knows your name. Maybe he has power over you. And the demon even takes it up a notch by yelling at Jesus. He begins invoking the name of God as his authority. 
The demon says, I implore you by God that you do not torment me. In other words, don't torment me by casting me out of this man. Because this demon considered it a punishment to be cast out of the man. Now, if you're like me, you might be scratching your head at this point. I mean, what could a demon possibly want from inhabiting us? I mean, listen, demons attack men. Why, why do you think demons attack men? Why do you think they do that? They do it because we are made in the image of God. Genesis tells us we are made in the very image of God and Satan hates that. And so they attack men. They debase them and make them grotesque like this man. But he's not more human because he's demon-possessed. Not at all. He's less human because he is farther from the image of God. It's just like a graffiti artist who's spraying over a beautiful statue. Look, at the statue is still there, but it's covered over. It's defaced by all the graffiti, by all the vandalism. So the demon says, look, I want to stay here. Don't torment me by casting me out. Now, what do you think Jesus thought about that? You think he was frightened by it? <laughs> hardly look at verse 9 it says then he asked him what is your name and he answered and said my name is legion for we are many now why do you think jesus asks for his name is jesus playing into this ancient superstition well i got to know his name before i can cast him out i don't believe so you know that this is the only time in all of the Gospels where Jesus is even interested in the name of the demon at all. Jesus did not need to know the name of the demon in order to cast him out. No, as a matter of fact, I think the response from the demon plays this point out. I propose to you that the demon didn't tell Jesus his name at all. Instead of giving Jesus a name, he rather gives him a title for all the demons. He gives the name Legion, for we are many. They weren't all named Legion. <laughs> and by the way, a Roman Legion numbered 6,000 men. Now, whether there were truly 6,000 demons in this man is debatable. But look, we all know that the devil is a liar and what he's trying to do is to intimidate Jesus here. And when they replied legion, they were telling Jesus, look, there's a lot of us and we're organized and we're unified and we're mighty and we're ready for a fight just like a Roman legion would be. Look, let me tell you. If it was really important for Jesus to know their names, he'd have demanded it. 
But Jesus didn't play into their superstitions because his power was far greater. And despite the bravado of these unclean spirits, Jesus easily cast them out. Now there's something else I find interesting about this. Look at verse 10. It, it says, Also he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now, in Luke's account of this story, it tells us in Luke 8.31 that they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Look at these demons didn't want to be inactive. They didn't want to get put on the disabled list. Satan hates to be inactive. He's the ultimate workaholic. He always wants to be busy, and they consider it a torment or a punishment to be put and, or made inactive. And so the demon says, No, Jesus, please let us do our work. And so look what, what they ask of Jesus here in verse 11. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains, so all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine that we may enter them. Now this may seem a bit odd to us. Why would these demons want to enter the swine? Well, we just said, the, the demonic spirits, they're destructive, and they hate to be idle, and they would rather destroy something than to sit out. But there is something very si significant there in verse 12. Did you catch it? These demons can't even afflict these pigs without the permission of God. These demonic spirits can't go out and do whatever they want to. Jesus has complete control and authority here, right? <clears throat> Friends, Jesus knows what you're going through in your life right now. And if you ever feel that you're in a time of great attack, please know that Jesus knows exactly what you're going through and he is ready to deliver you from it. But you also need to recognize something. He has allowed it. And sometimes he allows these trials and attacks to get our attention. Sometimes he allows them so we can see his power at work in our lives. But in all cases... It's so we can understand that he is in control of every situation. So these demons, they all want to go into the swine. Now I want you to notice something else here. Verse 10 tells us, They begged him earnestly not to make them inactive. Then in verse 12, it says, So all the demons begged him to send him into the swine. Twice now, 
in verses 10 through 12, these demons begged Jesus. Now, do you understand what they're doing here? They're praying to Jesus. They're asking. They're petitioning. Nay, even begging to Jesus. My friends, that is prayer. And I find it absolutely fascinating that these demons, they knew theological truths about Jesus. They recognized Him as the Son of the Most High God. They prayed to Jesus, but they were not surrendered to Him, but they did pray to Him. James 2.19 says that even the demons believe and they tremble. So the demons believe in Jesus. They even tremble over it. They recognize the authority of Jesus. These demons have a reverence and a respect at least for who Jesus is. And friends, we can believe who Jesus is. We can know a lot of theological facts about him. We can even pray to him. But if our lives are not completely surrendered to God, well, then we're in the exact same boat as these demons were in. You know, the biblical definition of surrender is this. To give up possession. To yield. To resign. To surrender. To surrender every right. To send, surrender every privilege. To surrender every advantage to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And verse 13 tells us, and at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirit went out and entered the swine. There were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea and drowned in the sea. Now why did Jesus allow this? Why didn't Jesus just put these unclean spirits right out of commission? Zap, gone. And the answer, I think, is quite simple. Because the time had not yet come for the total demonstration of his authority. His, that demonstration over, this, over Satan and over the demonic world, that would only come at the cross. You know, one of my favorite passages regarding this subject comes from Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, and it says, Having disarmed all principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumph, triumphing over them in it. But at this point in time, that work had not yet been completed. So Jesus allows these demons to enter the pigs and they run off the cliff, giving us our first case of deviled ham found in the Scriptures. Now, uh, yeah, collective groans. Now, before we move on, I want you to see a few modern-day images of this site. 
If you look at the first picture that we have on the screen, this is the Sea of Galilee. If you were coming from Capernaum towards um, uh, the area which they call Kersey now. So that's heading uh, towards that, um, that particular site looking south. Now the next image is one thing you'll find when you're in Israel is that <laughs> if there's a religious site that they know that something happened, they build a monument. And the Byzantines built a, uh, that's the remains of the Byzantine church that uh, was built on that particular site. And if you look up behind, that is actually the hill that they would have run off of, um, that big steep crevice over there. And if you go to the next picture, Ryan, you'll see it from the other angle. That's just from the other side of it coming down. And then the next picture is just from atop that, looking down then at um, the Byzantine church that they built at the base of it. <coughs> well, moving on, let's look at the reaction of the people beginning here in verse 14. It says, So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and they went out to see what it was that had happened. Then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who saw it told them how it happened to him who, uh, to whom who had been demon-possessed and about the swine. Then they began to plead with him, to depart from their region. Now, does that sound odd to any of you? Look at it again. The man who had been possessed by a legion of demons is now sitting there at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And these people are more afraid of the free man than the possessed man. And I truly believe, at least in that part of their fear, was because all their superstitions had now been shattered. And they didn't know what to make of it. Well, Jesus didn't follow our flow chart. Uh, he, he didn't name the demon and... and 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 or, or or whoever was inhabiting him and he just displayed authority and 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 by all their superstitions these demons should have had the upper hand over Jesus but clearly Jesus had the upper hand over them and that caused a great fear to come over them and what did that fear cause them to do? Look at verse 17 again. It's shocking. And they began to plead with him to depart from their region. It's like they didn't mind having a tormented, demon-possessed man in their midst. We can live with that. But having a Savior in their midst with all authority and power over these demonic spirits, well, that's just more than we can deal with. Leave now, Jesus. 
I mean, you get what they're doing, right? They're pleading with Jesus in exactly the same way that the demons were begging to Jesus. Friends, they're praying. They're pleading with Jesus, is petitioning him to do something. So essentially, they're petitioning, praying for Jesus to go away. And you know, I have to tell you, this is remarkable. And even a little sad, all things considered. But Jesus heard their prayer, and he answered it. He left them at their request. And you know, sometimes that's the prayer that people pray. Now, rarely do they actually pray it aloud with their lips. Jesus, get away from me. But oftentimes, people do pray it with their hearts. Or maybe they pray it more like this. Jesus, not so close. You're kind of touching on a sensitive area there, Jesus. Can you just take a couple steps back, please? You're invading my personal space. Bubble. (laughs) And to that request, Jesus often says, if you want me to back away, I'll honor it. And Jesus does that here. Verse 18, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. The man who had been demon-possessed had such a great heart here, right? I just want to be with Jesus. And really, is there any better or more beautiful evidence of his changed heart than that? But I do find it interesting that we never learn this man's real name, do we? Verse 2 just calls him a man with an unclean spirit. But now we see a distinct name change. Verse 16 now calls him uh, him who had been demon-possessed. Verse 18 calls him he who had been demon-possessed. Now, what a thing to be known for. Everywhere you go, psst, hey, that's the man who had been demon-possessed. And you might be tempted to think that that's a negative thing because it points back to something bad in your life. But it really doesn't. My friends, this points back to what he used to be. And everybody could see that he was not that now. He had become a trophy of God's grace. And so whatever it may be in your life, you may have been an alcoholic. You may have been, you know, 
addicted to pornography. You may have been any of those different things. God can turn that around and make it a trophy of his grace and turn you into him who had been demon-possessed. But I want you to notice something here in verse 18. He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. And I mean, how could Jesus refuse such a request, right? But Jesus says, no. And if you continue on to verse 20, you'll see why. Because he departed and began to proclaim it in Decapolis. God had other plans. And for those of you unfamiliar with Decapolis, it was a set of ten cities in that area. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go to these Gentile cities and proclaim my name there. Look, Jesus wasn't sent to the Gentile cities. He was sent to the Jews. But this man could be a representative there. And Jesus was saying, you can do more work for my kingdom there than following along with me. And I can't help but think how many of those Gentiles this man shared with who ended up coming to salvation in Jesus Christ and ultimately became part of the early church that we see in Acts. Well, finally we get to see what this man's mission is. Jesus outlines three things for this man to do. He says, go home to your friends, tell them what great things the Lord has done for you, and tell them how the Lord has had compassion upon you. And what does verse 20 tell us he did? And he departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. And my friends, that is a message that every one of us should be able to preach. What has Jesus done for you? How has he changed your life? What has he freed you from that you and I can proclaim to others? Look, this is what Jesus did for me. This isn't religion. It's what God did for you. And as we close this morning, I want you to look closely and see something very special. And this shows us that Jesus went out of his way to touch this one life. One life. I want you to ask yourself this question. Of everything that we have talked about in the last two Sundays, who was the sole beneficiary of that trip to the land of the Gadarenes? Who was it? The man who had been demon-possessed. When Jesus told the disciples to get into the boat and cross over, they endured a tremendous storm in order to get to this place that Jesus told them they were setting out to. When they arrived, they're met with a man 
that Jesus had set out to save. Look, was he there for the demons? No. Was he there for the people in the town? No, they sent him away. Did Jesus stick around to help anyone else? No. And when he had accomplished what he had set out to do with that man, what happened? He left. That entire trip was for one person. And friends, this morning, if you were the only one here who was spiritually needy, let's just assume everybody else here around you has got it completely together. You're the only one here whose life was a mess. Jesus is here just for you. One is enough for him. Luke 19.10 says, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save what? That which was lost. Are you lost this morning? But this passage also shows us another incredible truth about Jesus. It shows us that nobody is beyond hope. Nobody is beyond the power of Jesus. Nobody is too far far gone that Jesus cannot save or heal or restore. And we need to take courage in that. And you may be bound this morning. You may be hindered in some way by some demonic lie. You may need a spiritual cleansing of your heart, but the power of Jesus is stronger. And you can be set free this morning, but you'll need to come to Him. Won't you do that this morning? Let's pray. Father, I'm reminded of that parable of the lost sheep. Lord, how you left the 99 to go seek out that one lost lamb. Lord, how you are so willing and so ready to just pour out your love upon us. And Lord, we don't need to struggle alone. We don't need to uh, just fight and get through it. Lord, like we talked about last week, where we just, we just need to find a way to get to the, sh- the other shore. Lord, you don't want us to strive. You want us to thrive. And so, Lord, you want to meet us where we're at. And if we're struggling with some area in our life, maybe we haven't, you know, maybe there's someone here who hasn't given their heart to you, Lord. They haven't surrendered to you, Lord. They need to take that step first. And if you're here this morning and you haven't done that, you can make that decision to follow Jesus. 
You can make that decision to put your trust in Him alone to save you. But maybe you're a believer here. And you've been struggling with some area in your life. Maybe it's a secret sin that you've just kept to yourself. You put on a fa- one face when you're at church, but completely different when you're at home. Maybe there's something that the Lord just really wants to, to get a hold of you this morning. He can free you. He can release you. But you have to turn and surrender to Him. Maybe there's an area of uh, physical healing that you need. The Lord can do that. Maybe you have someone in your family that really needs a touch from the Lord. I think every single one of us has something in our life or someone in our life that needs to surrender. And if you're in that place, if you've got some, you know, if you yourself are struggling with something, no matter what it is, I'm just going to ask you to stand where you're at right now. Or maybe you've got somebody in your family that really needs a touch from the Lord, whether it be a physical touch, whether it needs spiritual cleansing. If you've got somebody that you want to stand and you want to represent here this morning, I'm standing for my friend or for my family. I'm going to ask you to stand as well. Lord, I'm going to ask the rest of you to stand now. Lord, Father, we, you see the people represented here, Lord. Lord, you know their situations, you know their circumstances, you know their hearts. Lord, as David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And Lord, I just pray that those of us that are wrestling with things in our lives where we really need a cleansing from you, we need you to do heart surgery. Lord, I pray that you would do that in us right now. Lord, for those that maybe need spiritual healing, Lord, I pray that you will touch these lives and that you will restore them. But Lord, we also understand that you allow these things for a reason to draw our attention to you. And so Lord, we pray that that work will be accomplished in their lives. And Lord, if there's anyone here who has not given their heart to the Lord or somebody who's watching in online, Lord, I just pray that you will soften their hearts, have them turn to you, and say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I trust you with my life. So Lord, I just pray you will do your work of restoration amongst us.
And Lord, that once you've done that work, look what happened to that man. You sent him out, you had a call for him, and he went out and accomplished what you asked him to do. So Lord, do that in our hearts this morning. Change us by your amazing grace. Release our chains in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.